cautionary tale there at the end of the reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the homeowner who ought to have kept alert, kept awake to prevent his house from being robbed. Well, it creates a vivid scene, doesn't it? Given the Christmas season and perhaps the fact that I just came through Chicago O'Hare Airport last night, I am reminded of Kevin McAllister protecting his house in the movie Home Alone. Do you remember that movie? It's been an age or two since it's been out. Played by Macaulay Culkin, Kevin was a child accidentally left behind by his family as they went on Christmas vacation. And after he caught wind that there were two men planning to rob their house, he set booby traps all around the house to prevent them from breaking in and stealing their belongings. He was a very clever boy. And his traps comically worked. He stayed awake. He kept watch. And his house remained protected. And while this is the scene that springs to mind when I hear this text, I am not quite sure that, I am actually quite sure that that is not exactly what Jesus had in mind uh, in Matthew 24. But on a more serious note, I have to confess that over the course of this last week, preparing for this Sunday to celebrate Advent hope, I have been struggling to connect this cautionary tale to the hope that is the coming of the light of Christ in the world today. Because this past week in my own life, it feels like the thief has come and stolen something beloved. For those of you who were here last Sunday, you may have noticed that I was a bit more emotional than usual. Perhaps I still am. But just moments before I came into worship last week, I learned that my dearest friend in the world had given birth to a beautiful baby girl named Adelia. Paige, my friend, and I had been expectantly waiting the arrival of our daughters this whole year. First, my daughter Louise, and then Adelia, whom we've been certain will be lifelong friends. But during Adelia's emergency birth, she sustained severe traumatic brain injuries, and she remains in critical condition. As you can imagine, her parents, her family, her beloved community, we've been praying for her since long before she was born. And in the last week especially, there have been sleepless nights of vigilance, keeping awake, praying for a miracle of God, keeping awake to see the coming of Christ enter in, to heal, to make all things new for Adelia. But as vigilant as we are, it still feels like the thief has come and stolen everything in the house. Over the course of This last week, I have served as the information pipeline from Adelia's parents to their friends and community. After I would bring people up to date, the conversations quickly turned to questions like, where is the hope? What do we hope for? Where's the hope? In moments like this when it's just not fair, doesn't seem like God's listening at all when it's just all so devastatingly 
sad? What's the point of being watchful when everything can be taken anyway? Where's the hope? These questions, our pursuit of hope, there's no better time to ask them than in the season of Advent. In this season each year when we liturgically and ritually prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ, we remember again the layers of preparation, the layers of expectant waiting that we are called to as people of faith. Praying prayers like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, or come, thou long-expected Jesus, we are drawn back into the layers of the already and the not yet that is hallmark of the kingdom of God. And our second text for this morning, it highlights this as well. Our second text for this morning, it comes to us from the prophet Isaiah. Of the three authors of the book of Isaiah, this passage comes from the one believed to be the original prophet Isaiah, not a student, not a follower, a prophet from inside Jerusalem, perhaps a prophet for the court. Isaiah casts the vision he has received from God. He casts the vision of God's imaginative hope for all of creation, even in the midst of the brokenness presently experienced. So while we might still sit in despair and sadness, while we might still grope for a glimmer of hope for whatever it is that we are praying for, let us listen to God's word to us through this prophet Isaiah and imagine what hope God has for us today. Let us pray. Come. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, be with us through your word. Make your hope known to us and to the whole world. Amen. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that God may teach us holy ways, and that we may walk in holy paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Holy One shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come. O house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So to better understand the context of our passage from Isaiah, I want to back up just a little bit to chapter 1. Because while the vision cast in our text in chapter 2 looks ahead to the future, chapter 1 describes the past, even the present, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In chapter 1, Isaiah graphically laid out what he had seen. In the past, he had seen violence and corruption, bribery, estrangement, unfaithfulness, desolation, trampling on the poor. And though there had been brief interruptions in the chapter as God called for repentance and offered glimmers of hope, those interruptions were dramatically overshadowed by these pictures of violence, of rebellion. And then we have our passage for this morning, chapter 2. The text opens as though Isaiah is starting all over again, or that God is starting all over again. What Isaiah Isaiah sees is not taking place now, but it is going to take place in the days to come. He suggests that people of every nation will stream to Mount Zion, including, including those who were enemies of Israel and Judah. He suggests that God's instruction will go forth from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations. He suggests that the people will be transformed by this teaching, that they will walk in holy ways. And then Isaiah implores the listener to consider God's imaginative vision. He asks, can you see it? Can you see it? Can you imagine that they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks? Can you imagine a world where a nation shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore? Can you see what God hopes for you? Can you see it? The imagery captures the imagination as it describes God's vision. It casts a hope that goes beyond that which can be conceived. For the listeners of Isaiah, for us, this vision can seem absurd, distant at best. Its radical nature gives the sensation of being fantastical, perhaps a daydream of the naive. But as Old Testament professor emeritus at Luther Seminary, Fred Geiser suggests, through the prophet, God is taking us somewhere we cannot go on our own. Not because of righteousness, not because of our righteousness, but because of God's goodness. And I'm going to repeat that because I think it bears repeating. God is taking us somewhere we cannot go on our own. Not because of our righteousness, but because of God's goodness. The coming peace and hope described by Isaiah, it is God's. And it's promised to us. So what does it mean for us to heed Isaiah's call to walk in the light? To claim the promise that God has made. 
What does that mean for us? Can you imagine what a prophet might say to us today? If a fourth student of Isaiah were to stand among us today, what might that student proclaim? I imagine that it might sound something like, they shall beat their guns into gardening tools. And their time spent practicing active shooter drills shall be spent planting trees. Nativism shall not imprison the immigrant. And neither shall they learn racism anymore. Can you imagine? Maybe it would sound like they shall beat their weapons of war into paintbrushes and canvas. Their methods of oppression into community gardens. Clean drinking water shall flow in every place and never again shall anyone go hungry. Because of God's goodness. God is taking us somewhere we cannot go on our own. So where might that be? Where might that be? As a global community, as a church, as people of faith, where might God be taking us? Where? Considering these questions, imagining where God's goodness might take us, this is the act of hope. Without denying our current reality, without denying the pain and the hurt, the despair and the disappointment permeating our world, without denying that there's work to be done in the meantime, considering the imagination of God in the midst of our pain, considering the imagination of God in the midst of our brokenness, this is the act of hope patiently trusting that God will take us somewhere we have yet to envision is the act of hope. Keeping watch for that which we cannot yet imagine is the act of hope. Jesus implores us to keep watch for the coming of the Son of Man, for the coming of the light of the world. And this Advent season, this is what we are to keep watch for. We are to keep watch for visions yet unseen that dwell within the heart of God. We are to keep watch for visions yet unseen that dwell within the heart of God. As stress levels rise with the close of the semester, as pockets grow thin with the gift-giving season, as the darkness of the days grow longer and longer, as we sit vigilant, as we sit vigilant at the side, the bedside of an infant, we are reminded by this light, the light of the candle of hope, that God's imagination is still at work. And God's goodness is taking us to places we cannot take ourselves. Dear church, dear friends, this is our hope.
Thanks be to God. Amen.